Good morning. Hello, my name is uh, Zach Roberts, to those that don't know. My wife and I, Amy, have been uh, attending Glad Tidings Hartford City for a little over two years. Um, it's funny, last time I was up here, I talked about how like I don't like necessarily doing the public speaking, but now every time I'm up here, I feel like I got more to say. Um, <laughs> with that being said, Josh, here I go. Um, uh, here we've, uh, Josh, last couple of years has really talked about like the circle of influence and your, your reach three. and kind of throughout the week I was kind of thinking like what should I say and then it kind of hit me like the circle of influence thing it's like I'm kind of a good example of that uh my grandpa I have an older brother that's like six years older than me and my grandpa had seen the way like I looked up to my brother and it was anything he was doing I was right behind him doing it too um, my brother was 16 at the time and my grandpa looked at my brother and said and pointed to me and said he he will follow you to heaven or hell and uh just to think about him being a 16 year old and the path he took and the, the role model he was to me, I was his circle of influence. And if it wasn't for him and the way he was, it's very well possible I wouldn't be up here today reading the scripture, saying these things. Um, as a, and with that, like kind of just following in his path, he had his first kid, my nephew, who's like 9, 10 now. Um, I'm so bad about remembering all day. Um, <laughs> When he had his first kid, he came to me and was like, man, I really think you should start getting into your Bible more. And it's like, I just feel like it's time to get right. And uh, I'd like later on, you know, I have my first kid. And uh, I have my first kid. And so I'm like, how do I be a good dad? Like, what's the best thing to do? So I'd like, through my brother and just to get in church, you know, read your Bible, pray. But yeah, circle of influence. If it wasn't for him, I might not be up here. Well, the thought I had was he told me to get right, and I started to get right. And then that led me to telling my friends, hey, man, God's doing something in my life. I think it's time for you guys to get right. And something that just makes my heart proud is one of those people that I told, hey, man, like, I think you got to start getting right is working up in the sound booth right now. One of my friends that I've, is actually the first, I, it's, it makes you feel good because you feel like you've been a part of somebody's salvation, but at the same time knowing that it's, it is all given through Jesus. It's freely given as long as you believe and trust in his name. Um, anyway, to the scriptures here, I'll stop. I'll stop, Josh. I don't go too long. We have a Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. It says, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent, me, sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice as acceptable and pleasing to God. And the and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And now we're going to go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have not turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? 
Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. We continue today in a series that we are just simply titled Beginner's Guide to Destroying Your Life. Um, We've said that the Bible talks about the fact that God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. And if that verse is true, then what is also true is that the enemy has got his own verse. And it's basically like, I know I have plans for you to destroy you, to harm you, to absolutely devour and take away everything that you know, that you care about, and that you love. And so in this series, we are looking at a bunch of different things that the enemy likes to try to insert into our life that can bring destruction and damage. Last week, we looked at unforgiveness and how toxic that can be for us. This week, we're going to look at the difference between greed and generosity. Next week, we're going to look at contentment. And then the final week, we're going to look at our thought life. How many of you know that you are your biggest critic, right? We look sometimes in the mirror and we can see things and say things about ourselves that we would never allow another person to say or to think about us. And so in this series, we're really looking at these different things that the enemy tries to kind of like insert into our life that can bring damage and destruction beyond belief and what the Bible has to say about them and the hope we have from what's revealed in scripture. And so today... We're going to be tackling a topic the Bible talks a lot about, but that often whenever we talk about in churches, it can kind of get a little bit like um, a little worrisome because you've seen it done bad, and then you've also seen it not be talked about at all. And so this, we don't talk a lot about money here at Glad Tidings, but this is one of those that Jesus himself actually spoke about money more than he did about heaven or hell or even faith. The Bible itself, over 15% of it deals with money because here's the thing, God cares greatly about your heart and our money often is a window or a reflection of what our heart values and so God cares about it greatly. So we're going to pray and then we're going to dive right into this message here in just a moment, but let's seek God's face together. Father, we come before you. Holy Spirit, I pray that your presence and your blessing would be in this room, that Lord, as we hear from your word, that we would be shaped and molded by it and not by what our culture says, what our culture thinks, or um, what it even values, but instead that we would be people who follow wholeheartedly after you. God, I believe that you're speaking today to us because you love us so deeply, and I pray that God, you would I pray, unshackle some of us, Lord, so that we can encounter and experience the blessing that you have in store for us. In the mighty, most holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. It's a tale as old as time. I don't know about you, but like, I've never personally met a princess in my life. 
Uh, but based on all the stories that I, <laughs> Bee's over here going, excuse me. No, I have yet to meet a princess ever in my life <laughs> um, to this point. But here's from based on the facts of what I've seen so far, what I would know is number one, um, they're cursed. I, every single Disney princess is cursed in some form or manner. It's like by the time they hit age 16, something bad is going to happen to them. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but there's at some point they were hated as a baby. There was an evil witch or wizard or someone who has come and pronounced a curse over them. And then by the time they turn 16, um, something terrible happens. For instance, you've got Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty at an early age says by the time of age 16, she's going to touch the needle on a spinning wheel and then she's going to fall into a deep sleep. I don't know about you, but if I knew that that was like what was going to happen, I'd find me a bunch of dwarves to tie me down on my 16th birthday so I could never come near a spinning wheel. <laughs> I'd be like, knock me unconscious this day so that the curse may pass. But instead, she hears the voice of her enemy, Maleficent. And she's guided onto this journey to the castle and she's unnaturally drawn to something that is meant for her demise and destruction. She touches it and instantly she falls asleep until true love's first kiss. Oh, yes. And there's, then there's obviously, um, you know, Snow White, Snow White. And you've got the story of, you know, she's out hiding from uh, the evil queen and she's chilling out in the forest with a bunch of dwarves. And um, then one day comes someone who offers her an apple. I don't know about you, but based on the movie, what I saw, I wouldn't be eating anything that that person handed me. <laughs> like not apple, not apple pie. Like I've not seen your kitchen, but something tells me I'm not eating anything that you hand to me. <laughs> and yet... She's unnaturally pulled. She takes a bite of the apple, falls into um, a deep sleep. In both of these uh, stories that we know so well, this, this tale is old as time, what happens is you find this princess that has been cursed, and the curse is only lifted through love. A curse that has come upon them. And what I know for all of us is I don't think any of us want to be cursed. None of us would want that for our life, for our children, for our marriages, for our relationships, for our families. That's not what we would want. And yet we see this happen so often in these stories. I, I want to read you a very interesting story and a warning that is found in the Old Testament. And if you'll see it on screen with me, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is a very interesting illustrated sermon that Moses gives. It says, look today, I'm giving you the choice so in other words, Moses goes, you have an option. You get to choose between blessing and a curse. He says, you will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, but you will be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from him and worship gods you have not known before. When the Lord your God brings you into the land and helps you to take possession of it, you must pronounce the blessing at Mount Gerizim and the curse at Mount Ebal. There's this really interesting story that takes place. Moses has got the people of God and he knows they're about to walk into the very promise God has given to them. The promised land, the place he's created and destined for them. This is gonna be one of the greatest things that's in their life. But he knows that once they get there, there's gonna be lots of temptation to kind of find their own way, do their own thing, pursue what they think is right in their own eyes, like all of us struggle and deal with. And so, 
God instructs Moses to create this illustrated sermon for them. I know many of us in this room, we love illustrated sermons because we're not just auditory learners. We're visual learners. It helps us remember things. And so what Moses does is he says, when you arrive there, you're going to take the people of God and you're going to split them into two. Half the people are going to be on this mountain, another half are going to be in this mountain, and they're going to face each other. And what you're going to find is this. He says, those of you who are going to be on Mount Gerizim, you're going to shout forth the blessings that come from following after God. And those of you on Mount Ebal, you're going to shout back to it the curses that come from trying to go your own way. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's the natural outcome of choosing to do things our own way and whatever it is that we want to make right and wrong be determined by how I think and how I feel. What's really interesting is you've got Mount Gerizim, which would have been like a very lush, green, fruitful area and land, whereas Mount Ebal would have, was more like sandy and dark and brown and looked desolate, more like a desert. And so you've got essentially the two people of God shouting one side saying blessings and one side saying curses, and their actual physical terrain matches what it is that they're declaring. It was as if God, as a good father, is looking at his people going, I'm pleading with you. Make the right choice. Come on, parents, we know exactly what this is. You look at your kids and you love them so much and you plead with them, make the right choice. Do the right thing. Don't walk into danger. Don't cross the street without looking both ways or stay away from the road. The traffic's really busy there. There's a pleading because you know the curse that can come from the outcome of choosing to make that poor choice. And there's also a blessing that comes from choosing to make the right choice. You stay home. You don't run into the road. Like there's wealth, there's comfort, there, there's safety. There's, there's all of this here at home. You're under the blessing of dad and mom. But when you go out there and you choose to go your own way, like there's death and there's destruction that's awaiting. And that's what Moses is doing here. He says, listen, today I'm giving you a choice between blessing and a curse. You get to choose. God in his great love and his kindness and with his care and his concern, he's providing to them a very vivid sermon about the natural outcome of pursuing their own way outside of his commands. And he says, if you choose to, the result is living under a curse. I don't think there's a single person in this room that in your prayer life this morning, you were like, God, you know, I would love to live under a curse. At least I hope not. If that's you, please talk to your pastor afterwards. We need to get some things straight. <laughs> like, if that's part of your natural prayer time, we need to get that fixed. <laughs> no one wants that. No one's like, I want my marriage cursed. No one's like, I want my family, my household cursed. No one's like that. But the truth is, if we're not careful, we can listen to the voice of Maleficent. We can listen to the voice of the enemy. We can listen to the voice of our culture and if we're not careful, it can creep its way into our lives and do that very thing. Let's talk for just a moment about the curse of greed. This is what it says in verse six, for I, the Lord, do not change. And thankfully for that, because he says, therefore, children of Israel, you're not consumed. <laughs> from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. He's going all the way back to what Moses was talking about. You've turned aside from it. You've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Do you hear the voice of a good dad? Return to me. 
And I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And God's response is, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how, are, how have we robbed you? God's response is, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a cursed, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, watch this, put me to the test. I don't know if you know much about your Bible, but one of the things is all throughout your Bible, it constantly says, do not test the Lord your God. This is the one and the only area in all of scripture where God goes, try me, test me, see if I won't prove faithful. He says, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So the question is this, how does the curse of greed work? How does that curse work? And the, and the answer is this. The first is, is that greed promises satisfaction, but it only ever offers or brings to you discontent. Anybody in here ever had buyer's remorse? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're like, if I could just have that one item, I'll, I, like, it just looks so great. You get it, and then it's like a knockoff Chinese product, and it breaks like two seconds after it's in your hand. You know, and you're like, what? I just spent all this money. Or you thought like, oh, if I, if I could just have that promotion or that new car or that new house or that new thing, then I'll finally, finally be happy. If I could have that relationship or that promotion or, or like honestly, all those different things, we think about it, it promises work hard, strive, do all these things like focus on you to get it. But the problem is it never, ever satisfies. If it did, all of us would still be satisfied with the iPhone one. <laughs> when the iPhone four came out, there was people waiting in line for a week on the New York streets in tents, this new technological marvel. If you tried to hand the iPhone four now to an average kid, they would look at you and go, I don't want it. That's basically a doorstop. <laughs> But at the time, it offered satisfaction. It offered, you'll be happy. It offered, and that's what greed always does. Greed says, if you will pursue what I want, if you will think about only yourself, I will give you satisfaction. But the truth is, every single time, you actually are more discontent than when you started. Never fulfilled, always wanting more, but you're just more empty than you even started with. Secondly, greed is the opposite of the gospel, and it's actually against the very character of God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. One of the greatest ways that God ever revealed his love is by giving of the best thing this world has ever seen, Jesus. God gave the greatest gift this world has ever seen. If you want further proof of just the destructive nature of greed versus generosity, let me provide you a great illustration, a marriage. Imagine a marriage lived from those two principles. You tell me which one you wanna be in. 
Imagine you're about to celebrate your 40th anniversary and one marriage is characterized by me, me, me. I want, give to me, take, I want what's mine versus generosity, sacrifice, and love for one another. Which one do you want for you? The answer is we all know for a fact, it's the marriage that's based on generosity. It's the marriage where they're serving each other, they're loving each other, they're caring for each other. We're like, yeah, I'm down for that. That looks awesome. The other one, we're like, don't invite me to the dinner party because you guys squabble, you fight, you argue, and it's always awkward. Seriously. You're like, it's, it's, it, that's not the, th- I don't want to even be in that setting because I feel drained. Like, you know what I'm talking about. There's people who like, you get in their presence and it's just like your whole energy level goes. This is what the Bible talks about. Greed is the opposite of the gospel and the character of God. In Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 11, it says this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. If there's not a better verse in scripture, that's true. I, that's <laughs> the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. It's kind of like when you buy a truck, right? You've never been asked to help someone move the second you buy a truck. <laughs> like everyone is calling, hey, buddy. <laughs> so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Our culture tells us if you just have more, you'll finally be happy. One of the happiest people I've ever met was a group of kids on a mission trip to El Salvador. They owned one pair of clothes. Their mom was currently washing that pair of clothes and they got word that we were down the street playing a soccer game. Next thing we know, there's a group of little kids that showed up completely naked to play soccer with us. It was the most awkward moment of my entire life. I was like, note to self, do not slide tackle. Um, But here's the truth. Can I tell you something? The smiles on their faces, they had nothing. Most of us, we, we arrived with a bag just packed for that trip with more clothing item possessions than they even owned. And they were so incredibly happy. Because happiness and contentment is not based on what we own. You and I know that. But man, does our culture slip in there and go, oh, you'll only be happy if you get that next thing. If you buy that. If you fight to get what you want. The other thing is is greed. It promises rest, but it actually only ever brings exhaustion. Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 12. He says, then he told them a story. He says, a rich man, he had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all of my crops. That's a pretty good problem to have. You've got so much really great produce happening that your barns are already completely full and you've got more left over. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and I will say to myself, ha ha, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? He finds himself in such an interesting predicament. His 
produce, his wealth has so expanded the point he doesn't even have enough storage to hold it all. He's blessed beyond measure. But even before he can think of a moment of being generous to others, he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll just tear down all of my barns and I'll build bigger ones. But then once I do that, and then those get finally full, then I'll say to myself, oh, rest, take easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But what do you think would really happen if he did that? Once his bigger barns are full, what do you think he's going to do? Tear down those barns and build tripper story barns. Because see, the problem is, is that greed, it always promises rest, but it brings exhaustion. I got to have, I got to strive, I got to get more, I got to work, I got I to get more, I got I to focus on me. It's exhausting the work that comes from it. Greed demands that we pause generosity always until then. I'll be generous with my life, with my time, with my talents, with my treasures, with my finances. Uh, Then, once I get the promotion, once I get married, once I get stable in my career, once I get, once I, like, I'll help other people. And what it does is, is greed always gets you focused on not now and what you can do, but focused on then, on that day, on that time, on that space, on that place. Get you focused always on, not in the immediate, pausing always for the sake of stability or comfort or luxury or, or getting things right in this season. And in doing so, greed shifts what we value. This is what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter 12. He said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's true. I've been to so many funerals, and can I just tell you something? Life's not measured by what you own. I've never yet been to a funeral and been like, let me tell you about Ben. He had three cars, two boats, a house. We all loved Ben. (laughs) No. At the funeral, they talk about who were you in your relationships? How did you love people? What effect did you have on others? Were you kind? Were you generous? Were you caring with your life? See, here's the scary thing about this curse is that greed will get you to sacrifice what you most value onto the altar of more. You will sacrifice your family, your friends. You'll sacrifice generosity. You'll sacrifice um, helping others, your time. You will sacrifice all of that onto the altar of more. Can I tell you something? I've said this many times from this pulpit, but one of the hardest things about being in ministry these days is social media. Because in the past, something would happen and like there'd be a tragedy that would happen and you'd watch like a family implode or a marriage and like you would see, like you'd be like, oh my goodness, what happened? Like, but now with social media, you watch the implosion of a life slowly over time. Have you noticed that with your friends? Like there's times where you're looking at people and part of you just wants to be like, what are you doing? Ever been there? You want to just like grab someone by the cheeks and be like, you are headed to destruction. (laughs) Like this is not good. Get your head on straight. Like you want to plead with them. You want to beg them to make better choices. Listen to me. Greed will get you to sacrifice what you most value onto the altar of more. I have watched so many families implode because 
they desperately longed for more. I've watched marriages be destroyed because they desperately longed for more. Greed was so prevalent in there that the slow destruction of the family just kept happening time over it, and it was slow. Your enemy's not dumb. He's not gonna do it all in a day. He just slowly keeps offering you lie after lie. If you just, if you just have a little bit. See, because greed promises us freedom, but it only brings slavery. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. If you will hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Listen to me, there's nothing wrong with money. You can be absolutely rich and righteous and you can be absolutely poor and righteous. You can be absolutely rich and wicked and you can be absolutely poor and wicked. It's your heart that matters. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you cannot serve God and also be a slave to your money. You cannot be enslaved to it. Here's a perfect example of it. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller was once at the height when he was one of the most richest men the world had ever seen. And a reporter came up to him and they asked him, hey, how much is finally enough for you? And his answer to them was telling. He said, just a dollar more. Do you hear the, 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 the weight behind that? What I have now is not good enough. I've got more than anybody I even know or could think of, I, I, but I need more. That's what greed does. It enslaves you. It wraps its tentacles around you and holds you tight. It promises freedom, but it actually only gives you slavery. And greed, over time, destroys more than just you. It destroys marriages, families, distance, creates distance. And that greed brings grief to the whole family, but to those who take bribes will live. Those who hate bribes, not take bribes. That's important that I fix that. <laughs> That's what happens when you try to read from back here. <laughs> Proverbs 15, 27. So why is the curse so issuey? Uh, God calls it robbery. Read with me one more time here. For I, the Lord, don't change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. So he's challenging them about their heart. And so I want you to see here, what he's saying is that your money is a proof of what your heart has done. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God called it robbery. Um, real quick, someone in this room, just shout out your fantasy car, like the car you've always wanted. Mercedes. Mercedes. All right. Imagine someone buys you or you're able to, you buy today a brand new right off the line Mercedes, right? And then your third distant cousin shows up and asks to borrow it. <laughs> Some of you are like instantly, that cousin popped up and you're like, nope. <laughs> okay. You lend it out to them, three things can happen. Number one, they could steal it. That would be a tragedy. Number two, uh, they could wreck it. They could be terrible in parking lots and hit like every pole that there is in Walmart's parking lot, clip their toenails and leave them in the car. 
that's right. It just got real, folks. <laughs> McDonald's wrapper is in the back seat with like French fries that are like, and then they give you the car back. <laughs> or they give you the car back, and before they did, they vacuumed it out, filled it with a full tank of gas, sent it through the car wash, and cleaned up real nice, perfectly everything inside. Imagine those are three different family members that rented your car from you. Got a question. When all three ask again, who are you lending your car to? Number three. You're not going to lend it to someone who's stolen it. You're not going to lend it to someone who just bashed it by slamming into curbs and um, light posts. And if you're that driver, I'm sorry. Go back to driver's ed. Um, (laughs) But here, I want you to hear something. You and I, we don't own anything. That's what the Bible says. Every single thing that you and I have, including your talent and your ability to work, is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights. Jesus teaches this parable of talents, and it's really interesting. The talent was an, uh, a weight or a measurement of money. And he's got, he says there's a king who comes, and he's got like three different servants that before he leaves on a journey, he gives one, five, one, three, and one, one. And he comes back from his journey, and he comes to one of the five, and he says, Master, I, 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 I've taken the five that you gave me, and that, that like, that's yours that I was a steward of, and I spent it, and I used it, and I, I doubled it. So now instead of five, I've got ten to you. And the master looks at him, and he goes, well done, good and faithful faithful servant. What I entrusted in you, you took good care of. Same thing with the one who had three. He doubled it. And he gets to the one who had one. And the one who had one, he says, well, I I knew that you were a hard master. So I I dug a hole in the ground and I just buried it. I didn't do anything at all with it. Like, because I I was just worried. I, I didn't take care of it. I didn't do anything with what you gave me. And God says, you wicked, evil servant, depart from me. See, greed gets us to think that what we have is ours rather than that we're stewards of what God has given us. How can we expect God to bless a life that lives in direct opposition to his nature, his values, and his character? How can we expect God to bless a life that lives in direct opposition to his nature, his values, and his character? If greed is the very nature of the enemy and it's prevalent in our heart, one of the first ways it shows up is how we view and what we do with our finances. Now, had God left it there, this would kind of be a depressing verse, wouldn't it? (laughs) You are cursed with a curse. But that's not what it says. It goes on to say this, something incredibly interesting. God says, put me to the test. Read with me again. It says this, um, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse. You and the whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to even take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insect and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine, for before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
All throughout scripture, God goes, do not test me. But in this one area, in this one area, God's like, try it. Test me out. See if I don't bless you. See if I don't come true. See if I don't prove myself faithful to you. So I want us to engage. We, we talked about how the curse works. Let's talk about how the blessing works. And this is how it does it. First and foremost, generosity brings satisfaction. Jesus was right when he said, you are more blessed to give than to receive. Parents, you know this on Christmas morning, like there's just an incredible joy when you get to watch your kids open up their presents. They're like all pumped and excited about it. And you're like, yeah, I got that. And all the dads in the room, we're just as excited because we had no clue what it was. <laughs> we're like, hey, good one. How much was that? <laughs> the truth is generosity brings satisfaction. To the kids, it's like, it's like two hours and they're bored. They're like, Christmas morning, I'm bored. You're like, you just got 17. <laughs> Generosity brings satisfaction because it reflects the very heart of God. For God so loved, he gave. Generosity, it's a reflection of his very heart. Rick Warren says it this way, we are never more like God than whenever we give. Man, that's true. When you give of your time, your treasure, your talents, whenever you give of yourself to other people, like you're never more like God than in that moment. Generosity also unlocks blessing. I want you to think of a locked door for just a second. Um, try as you might, you can't get in there until you get the key. The key is what unlocks the door. And every door has its own specific key. And what's interesting is that many times blessing is unlocked through generosity. And it's because God is going, oh yeah, you, you wanna see what it's like? Then you have to reveal who I am. When we reveal, whenever we give, whenever we have a heart of generosity, we are reflecting to the world that we have a heart that's been changed by Jesus. God is not concerned with the fact of how much you give in regards to like, think about like the widow's might. She, she didn't have the ability to give like everybody else that was in the temple that day, but she gave what she could. And God pulled all the disciples aside and said, no, no, don't look at all the rich people giving their money. Look at her because she's given her best. That's what God cares about because he goes, look at her heart. God cares about your heart because it reflects God. Generosity unlocks blessing. Generosity it fuels joy and it creates rest. There's something beautiful about the fact of like not the desperate, constant striving to have the next newest thing. It's a beautiful thing where you're like, hmm, I'm good. I was talking to someone just um, uh, a, a week or two ago and they were talking about another state's lottery and they're like, I know you don't play the lottery, but if you did, like the one right now, it's over a billion dollars. He's like, if you won it, what would you do? And I sat there and I was like, well, I'd pay off my house, but I said, I wouldn't move. I like my house. He's like, oh, okay, well, you probably buy like a new truck, right? Because your truck's like 20 years old. And I went, nope. So I like my truck. My truck's got heated seats. I got a bad back. Mm, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody in the room with bad backs and heated seats? It's like, oh, praise the Lord. Right? You, you sit down, you hit that button, and you're like, oh. I love my truck. I'm, like, I, I, I'm happy. I'm content with it. 
I'm free of the desperate need to have the constant new, better, best. Generosity creates that. Greed does the exact opposite. Generosity gets us to focus our values on what truly matters. We're not blinded by the shiny and new at the expense of what's most important. See, generosity allows me to go, I will never give up my family for the next thing. I will fight for what matters. It also frees me to see other people not as objects, but as images of God that I can help and be a blessing to. Generosity creates freedom because I become unshackled to things. I own my things. I'm not owned by them. They don't own my heart because I'm just a steward of them. They were never mine to begin with. They were entrusted to me by my king. And if he wants them, they're his. Generosity also blesses more than just you. You become a blessing to others. And it allows you to see and to experience the supernatural. Let me say that again. Generosity will allow you to see and experience the supernatural. The kingdom of God is completely different than the kingdom of this world. It's flipped. And generosity allows you to see things that no one else would be able to see because you become an agent of God's healing work in this world. Listen, it is God's good pleasure to bless. Again, God... God is not anti-riches. He's not anti-you even having money. He's anti-what you view about your money and what you do with it. And can I tell you something? Listen to me. It is God's good pleasure to bless. It says this in verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Generosity always starts within the house of God and flows out from there. Because if you will bless his house, he will bless yours. Let me say that again. If you will bless his house, he will bless yours. Here's why it always starts in the house of God. I forgive based on what? How he has forgiven me. I show mercy based on how he has shown me mercy. I show and display kindness and love and grace based on how he has shown me kindness and love and grace. And so I can be generous with others as I have been generous back to him because he's already given me everything. Um, I'll never forget, this was uh, quite a few years ago. At the time we had a house, we, we moved to um, Indiana from Ohio, right as the housing market collapsed many, many years ago. So it was like impossible to sell our house at the time. And of course, right after we moved, like everything that could possibly go wrong with the house went wrong. We had to replace the furnace. We had to replace the dryer. We had to replace the garage door. We had a lightning bolt hit the front tree. And this is like a tree that was like, this is an exaggeration, but it felt like it was 300 years old. This thing was massive and like (laughs) took out power lines. And so Um, We were living here, and at the time, we desperately needed new tires for Angel's car. We had, like, racing slicks on them. We could, like, drift in Muncie. It was pretty impressive. And uh, money was tight at that point in time. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what to do, what bill to pay, all this kind of stuff. And it came time, and we had to make a decision, like, okay, are we going to continue to, like, pay our tires? And we're like, absolutely, God, we're going to do that. We're going to trust you and stand in faith and do that. And I remember we wrote the check and we we gave of our tithe and we're like, okay, we we don't know when we're going to be able to do the car. Angel had been working at Latchkey at a school. And I don't know if you know about schools, but you don't get like lots of raises. (laughs) And uh, 
she had never, she'd gotten like maybe a couple raises for like 30 cents or something like that through the latchkey present, had never once ever received a bonus or anything like that. The week we had done that and been faithful to what we knew we needed to do, out of nowhere, she goes out to the mailbox, opens it up, and there's a check from the school sitting there. Out of nowhere, they just decided to give out bonuses that year. And it was the exact amount we needed for all four tires. Just a few weeks ago, um, we were praying and asking what God would have us do. We, we just felt like God was prompting us to increase our kingdom builders giving. I don't know if you know this, but like uh, we're living in the time of inflation where like if you want to buy a gallon of milk, you got to sell an organ. Like <laughs> it's like, it's insane, right? And everything's going up. The price of everything is, is going up. And uh, we decided, we're like, okay, we're in the midst of this, we're going to trust God and we're going we're gonna to increase our giving to missions and planting churches and seeing what God's going to do. The week we decided that, literally the next week, we get a letter in the mail from our gas company that they're like, we randomly decided to look at your records and we decided to decrease your bill by the exact same amount a month that we were now giving to Kingdom Builders. I don't know about you, but anybody else in this room ever had your bill company call you and be like, we want you to pay less? <laughs> this church, um, it was birthed in the time of COVID. February 1st, 2020, I talked to Pastor Kevin about planting a church in Hartford City super pumped and excited. We had launch meetings prepped for March of 2020. I don't know if you remember much about March of 2020, but it was insane. Everything was shut down. Everything they had taught us, everything went completely out the window. And I remember sitting at the desk of the receptionist at the Muncie campus, Pixie, and I was just like, I know God's called me to do this, but I don't, I don't know how. I'm like, we can't even have church at this time. And she looked at me and she's like, Josh, God is wanting to do something with this church that can only be described as being for his glory. This church received gifts of $4,000, and $1,500 to help it launch from people who had never once in their entire life stepped foot in a Glad Tidings campus. Some of those gifts from people I had never met in my life who just randomly God's like, hey, in the midst where everyone else is terrified and scared and saving and like buying up toilet paper like crazy... (laughs) How about you give a gift to this church that's planting? The building you're sitting in right now, because of the faithfulness and prayer and the giving of God's people, we were able to purchase this building at $100,000 less than its appraised value. $100,000 less. See, the truth is it opens you up to see even the supernatural take place. There's a pastor, um, his brain just, my brain stopped and I can't think of his name, Morris. He, um, he, He tells the story of his family and his life when they started taking up radical generosity. Started with God challenging them that they were to give their car to someone, just sign over the lease to them. And they said, okay, God, this is a bit extreme. Like, that's, <laughs> that's my car. <laughs> got to drive places. And he's like, you got two. And they're like, okay, I guess we got to figure some things out. So they did. Over the course of the next year, they gave something close to the fact of 
15 different vehicles away because every time they'd give one away, God would speak to someone else who had no clue about the situation and somebody else would give them a brand new car. 15 times. So as they started living this out, he was like, you know, this is insane. Like every time we'd get one, he's like, I'd find somebody else and we'd end up giving it away and God would end up giving me another one. He goes, finally he got to a place where he was like, God really spoke to him about something extreme. Don't worry, God doesn't do this to everybody. But he told him, he goes, I want you to give every dime that you have in your checking account completely away and give your house away and give your car. And so he said, okay, God, I'll do it. He gave the, the car away. They emptied the checking account. They did that all the way. And he was sitting in his house. They'd already decided to hand off the mortgage to someone else, but they're like, they didn't know who yet. And he's sitting in his chair and he goes, and there's a moment in time where I felt a little prideful because I was like, okay, God, I finally got you. I outgave you this time. <laughs> nope. Right as he was thinking that thought, he got a phone call. He picked up his phone and he picked it up. And there was a person on the other line that says, Pastor, um, God told me that you were in need of some transportation. And he was like, man, I thought I had him. <laughs> and he's like, okay, so God's going to give me a car. You know, it's just like he's done already multiple times. And the man on the other end of the line says, um, I just bought this brand new airplane. And I want to give it to you and to your ministry. And by the way, I've already paid for your pilot and the gas. Anywhere you want to go, anything you want to do, it's done. It's yours to use for you and for your ministry. And he sat there and he was like, I thought I had just outgiven God. And God laughed at me. <laughs> now listen. I understand when you get into settings like this, if you've been around glad tidings of this church for any length of time, you know for a fact we don't talk about giving a lot. Because we know that there's many of you, you've been to churches and you've been to places and you've seen churches and you've seen preachers and you've seen them absolutely abuse. The problem is that you can go swing to the other end of the pendulum and then it never gets talked about at all. And can I tell you something? Jesus actually talks about money more than he talks about heaven or hell or even faith. <laughs> In fact, uh, like 15% of the entire recorded scriptures have to do with money and there's a reason for that. It's because God is greatly concerned with your heart. And our money often reflects our heart. So God speaks about money, not because he needs your money. Because I gotta just tell you something, even if you didn't give everybody anything, a single dime, God's still good. Amen? God's gonna figure it out. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's good to go. The person who gets robbed is you. The reality is, is that as your pastor, I, like, I wanna see you live a blessed life, not a cursed life. I don't want you living under a curse. Greed, you, every person in this room right now, you know someone who is con, absolutely consumed with greed. Their life is always on the next buck that they're gonna make. Everything that they have is theirs. It's mine. It's I have to have, I own, I, I, I. It's so self-focused. God wants you free of that. Amen. And it's for that reason that God speaks this and he challenges us with this. He, he, he writes to his people, listen, it is God's, good pleasure to bless you. And he does so as we live out in faithfulness the generous lives that he has given to us because we don't own anything. Listen to me, I know you might think you own something, but can I just be real with you? We should know this by now in our society. Everything you have can be taken in a moment. One injury, 
One bad decision, getting fired, losing a limb, losing your ability to do whatever it is you want to do, it can just a moment's notice away. I don't care how much money you ever accumulate in your life, you could never make enough, you couldn't lose it all in a moment. There are so many people who are just beyond stinking rich that went down to complete total poverty. You don't believe me? Go take a look at all of the NBA and NFL players usually after they retire. Or the person who wins the lottery. Do you realize that like 90% of everybody who wins the lottery is actually poorer than they were before within five years? It can all be taken in a moment. It wasn't ours to begin with. The truth is, is what do we do with it? My prayer is that God would unlock our hearts because I don't want you just to be a generous person. I want us to be a generous church. I want to be the type of church that like people know that we're known for our love and our kindness and our care and how we are there for other people. On a chair nearby you, and if there isn't one, we do have more in the back. We've got these little pamphlets that are called 90-Day Giving Challenge. If you've never given before, can I just encourage you to take a 90-day challenge? And, and I, not what your pastor's saying, what scripture says. I'm asking you to put God to the test. You're like, I never thought I'd hear my pastor say that. No, I want you to put God to the test. If you've never given before, I want to encourage you to give. Maybe it's the cost of a cup of coffee or maybe a large pizza or maybe it's a steak dinner that you would give up some form of a luxury and say, you know what, God, I'm going to sow into the kingdom and for the period of 90 days, I'm going to give to the kingdom and I'm going to just trust that you're going to be faithful and true and then test him and see what happens, okay? Maybe you've been given, but you haven't ever started tithing. So maybe you're on step two and you're saying, you know what, God's really challenging me. I need to start tithing. I need to start giving what the Bible commands of me to do. Or maybe you've been doing that for a long time and God's really challenging you to take the next step and be like, I, I, radical generosity. But I want you to notice something because this is very important for you to know. There is no offering bucket going to be passed around here in a second. You're going to walk out of here in just a few moments and I want you to think about and pray about this because God does not like someone who gives because they feel like they have to. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. There will never ever be an offering bucket taken up in this place ever to try to get you to give something because you feel like you need to. I am totally against that. I want you to pray about and say, okay, God, what do you have in store for me? And then I want you to test him. Say, God, I, I, I want to test you. I want to see, are you faithful? Are you true to your word? Are, are you going to come through? Can I tell you something? He is. And so when he does, there's a little email address on the back. We would love to hear a story because we want to celebrate with you. Over the next 90 days, as God comes through for you, we want to celebrate with what he's doing in your life. It might not always come even in the form of finances. It might come from a lot of different ways. You might out of nowhere get an unexpected promotion you never expected. An opportunity that comes your way you'd never even dreamed of or something you've been praying about for years. God is unique in how he works. In just a moment, the worship team is going to come up to the stage. But I want to say this as well. We don't just be generous with our tithes and with our giving. We're generous with our lives. How many of you know we've got people in our lives who are broken? Next week, we're going to talk about contentment. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about our thought life. I guarantee you, you know people who need to hear both those things. 
Because every single one of us in this room, we struggle with our thought life. There's times you look in the mirror, you say things about yourself that no one should ever say about you. There's things you believe. There's, listen to me. The Bible has a lot to say about what we think about, and we're going to discover those things. We're going to leave this room in a bit, and we're going to encounter a world that's, that's hurting, that's broken, and needs the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are people who have that good news. Can I encourage you? Bring someone to church with you next week. Invite someone you maybe you haven't seen in a while. Just text them and be like, hey, would you be interested in coming to church with me? Maybe do lunch afterwards. Simple as that. Real easy. But let's be people on mission for what God has called us to be and what he's called us to do. And can I just encourage you, take one of these packets home with you today, read through the scriptures and pray and say, God, what do you have in store for me? God, I I want you to bless my life. I want you to to use me for the sake of your glory. And let's be people and let's be a church that reflects the heart of God. Amen? Amen. So worship team, as you come to the stage, church, can I pray for us? Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we come before you this morning. God, last week I know was very, so important for us. We, We understood and discovered, Lord, the absolute damage that comes from unforgiveness. God, whenever we don't forgive, Lord, it twists and manipulates our heart. And God, this week as we've looked at greed, we've seen how, Lord, if we're not careful, it can actually destroy the things we value most. It can change our mentality for how we think. And Holy Spirit, I pray that today you would arrest our attention, that we would be people who reflect you and how we think and what we say and what we do. And that, Lord, the area of our finances, that it would be a window to our heart in a good way. That Jesus, you would see our love for you and our love for others. God, I pray that you would move inside each and every one of us and that God, you would unshackle us from the chains of greed and that God, you would release us into a life of generosity where we see you consistently do what only you can do. God, we love you. In your mighty name we pray, amen. After this service today, something very, very cool is gonna happen. At one o'clock at Lake Placid, we have 14 different individuals who are gonna be baptized today. How awesome is that? Amen. 14 people are saying, I'm going public with my faith. To the date so far this year, we've seen 42 different individuals either accept Jesus or rededicate their heart for their first time. One of those 42 different people, amen? How many of you know God's not done? Amen. So I would encourage you, come celebrate with us if you can. We'll be at Lake Placid. Uh, right when you first pull in off to the right a little bit, there's a, like a little dock house. We're going to get in the water. Um, this is much better than the previous year. We did it late October and it was cold. So it won't be today. But come enjoy, celebrate with us as we celebrate with those who are getting baptized. And again, can I just encourage you, there's someone in your life that needs Jesus. There's someone in your life that doesn't know the good news of Jesus Christ. Invite them. Say, hey, come with me to church. Come with me to hear um, a message about the good news of Jesus Christ. And let's be people on mission 
doing what God has called us to do. Would you join us in worshiping today?